welcome to Vespertine. In today's episode, we will be diving into the role of the theatre director in conversations with my dear friend and fellow founder of Skull Theatre Group, Sam Armstrong. He joins us now today on a call all the way from the very place we both met and founded, Skald, York, England. Welcome to Vespertine, Samuel Armstrong. It's very nice to have you. You are calling us all the way from York, yes? I am indeed. Yes, yes, fantastic. Um, How are you doing today? Doing all right? Very well. Enjoying the weekend. Nice yes. weather. Fantastic. Nice weather. A rarity in the UK. Um, That's good to hear. Now, um. Uh, just um, just a quick one. Obviously, um, I might have mentioned this in the in the interview and in, in the intro. Um, but we, uh, you and I, and uh, and obviously Sophia, who I've interviewed, we are founding members of Scald, and mm-hmm. um, and we operate mainly in New York, where you are set in. Um, quick question. Then and I didn't mention this earlier. What what was it about working with? Well, the both of us, and then just because you're talking to me, particularly me, that that drew you to wanting to start a theater company or theater group. Mm, I think it was the fact that we'd worked together for a number of years and then had similar ideals about how we wanted to work about things. You know, I I know that you and I had similar complaints about things, similar interests yes. in things, and then being able to go, okay, you're a writer with material. And I'm a, a theatre maker with an itch to scratch. Mm-hmm. And when we when we found that first project that we thought, oh, actually, this could be something. Um, it was that moment where both of us, I think, went, oh, this could be something bigger than just a little bit of a a, yeah. a play around with. Yeah, a nice that, way in. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, and I think that um, I think I'm exactly the same. Again, and I think that what we're going to be talking about is kind of theater as a whole and, you know, um, and getting into it um, and what it means and whatnot. But I think that, yeah, what I love about theater so much is that it's a, it's a community based thing of finding people with shared interest, with shared, um, you know, the, the shared want to bring something up to light um, and express mm-hmm. themselves. And I think that, yeah, can, th- that sort of magic is is is. is it's really good in terms of working with people because you can get some really good relationships, which I think we definitely have. But on to you, mm. Samuel Armstrong, um, a little bit about yourself um, and a question that kind of goes straight to that. What drew you towards theater or just about performance in general, performing it or um, putting together a performance? Yeah, so I mean, I've always been interested in being a little bit performative from when I was a kid. Um and then got into acting in school as a sort of confidence-building thing, and it was a bit of an outlet for for those creative feelings. Because I'm not very good at drawing, and I'm not really good at... I wasn't very good at writing, and all these things that I really wanted to do. All I was really good at was talking and, and you know, being a people person, and that's what drew me into a sort of acting scheme. Sort of. And as I went along... I started to think, oh, actually, there's more to it than this. I like being in charge in a way, or I like putting these things together without having to just turn up and be an actor. Um, you know, I did I did the school show every year in in school as an actor, and got more and more interested in how it all comes together as a as a piece, and actually what you can do outside. I mean, the most fun 
I think was the rehearsing, the rehearsal process mm. leading up to these things. And and this was in uh, Bolton then. So um, mm. so what was was there a sort of within the community of Bolton, which I don't I don't know how big of a city that is, but um, or a community in terms of, but like was there um an incentive for theatre or or these sort of community performance yeah 100 percent. i mean it's not a big city with a, a an established theater tradition in the same way it's a northern it's a big northern town with a great theater the octagon theater mm. which is one of the big producing houses really in the north and for such a small town it's really interesting uh, that it has that but also i think it goes back to that northern community circuit of mm performance performance in your at your andram your amateur dramatics uh you know there's there's quite a few little theaters farmers little theater bolton little theater where amateurs come together there's always a village performance and a village fair and a, a village panto and then you've got things like variety performance that goes back decades so there's definitely that sort of idea that there's performance around you but not in the sort of traditional um big city London theatre sort of way. No. Um, and, it, and it was quite natural living in the middle of nowhere to become involved somehow with the local stuff that was going on yeah. if you had the skills. And I, I remember doing, we did a World War One commemorative play. Somebody had written a play, somebody else could play the harmonica, somebody else could do this and they needed somebody who could act and we all sort of came together for it um, and worked yeah. on that together. So yeah, I think in and around Bolton's definitely... And it's and definitely you feel like incentive. it's um, and you definitely feel like it has shaped you in a lot of ways. Um, coming from that, oh, one hundred percent. I think a lot of my theatre uh, ideals, a lot of my ideology in, in in the work comes from having that background, where it's not all professional and it's not. If you're going to go to watch a performance, you're not going to your local big producing house paying twenty odd pound a ticket and sitting in the bar it's actually happening in your local community hall with mm. random, you know people in the community so yeah all of that is sort of fed into how i come at theater and the angle that i come at it from fantastic and this kind of leads me because you did mention it in terms of um bigger cities like london and maybe on a sort of a national scale but i mean theater has been a part of um uk for you know for, for, for england or just in the uk in general for, for the, the longest time i think that's it is probably the strongest sort of connotation to theatre is English theatre. And it is widely celebrated across the world. However, you know, and, and even today, it's like a big thing. I, I'm not sure how much of, you know, money it gets in for the nations or or any of that. But, I mean, it's still a, a major import in a lot of ways. But in a sort of mm. maybe a sort of societal type thing or, or whatnot, what do you think... Um, someone who has uh well, you recently completed a master's in um mm. what was that can you give us the title of that quickly uh, so like it's the a specific title title yeah what was my <laughs> can we come back to this question yeah, potentially because it, it, it i toiled over this right yes you did you did you did um well, I think, okay, we can come back to this question. But yes, and maybe we'll find our way naturally through it. Um, but now you've taken a couple of roles behind the scenes, as you mentioned, of, oh, 
I can act in this or you've, you've in, in groups of, of needing an actor or needing someone to do this or whatever. But, you know, coming from that type of background, what has your experience been of taking that out on other shows that you've done in, in other places in the country or for other types of, you know, things? Um, what has your experience been of and what, what kind of roles have you done? Enlighten us. Yeah. So like I said, I started off doing a lot of acting um, and then slowly built in a bit of singing as needed in school mm. um and then i started breaking off in school if i tell it chronologically i started breaking off in school into looking at oh what's happening with the lights and i'd faff about with lights i never really did any like design but i'd go and help put the lights up and operate the box and do the follow spot and then i would was interested in creative writing so i ran some creative writing clubs and was sort of into producing things um got further up into sixth form and I would help the younger students with their pieces I had experience of going through the GCSE and the the A-level process so I would go and almost direct them but but half directing half teaching them a little bit um, as a sort of teaching assistant so I've done that kind of directing thing for a while came to uni and just started exploring so I did some acting did some writing um, but mainly I've been have a look at behind the scenes. Obviously, I'm, I've been a, a producer for Scouts now, producer, director, event manager, sort of all-rounder in York. Um, and that's taken from those experience on the degree of stage management and not just stage management, but team management. Yes. You know, I've picked up a lot of team management skills as I've gone along and then been yeah. trained into stage management. Um and a lot of the projects I've done have been hybrid projects. So I remember one called Chronicity, where we were all um, writer, director, performers in a way. Yeah. And we were doing, we would write and then we'd go in and rehearse each other's writing and help to design everything as well. So distinct roles on shows. I can't say I've got many, but in terms of what I've, what I've been able to in these projects has been quite substantial and now I just sort of do everything all round. I think stage management is what I'm drawn to at the moment because I like to see that big picture when I'm not in the mood to act no I like to see what's going on across it and then I suppose from that comes directing I really like to get into the nitty-gritty of of what is happening on the stage. Yeah, and that that may lead me to now the. I've, I've directed a number of pieces. Yes, mm. and that's that's why it might lead me to another question that I had, which mm. is uh, your approach as a director. And I I I mm. have to say that um, it's it's something that you've kind of touched on before. It is you are people managing, you are seeing mm. the bigger picture. I think that with stage manager, you are seeing the bigger picture on a sort of a technical level, but then yeah. the director is is kind of um. And you'll 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 obviously bring out your version of this. Something it's the it's the main through line. It's the main guideline that is supposed to listen to all those components and try to figure out you know where it's going. And and so so what and obviously each project is different. But mm. what has kept you uh, kind of trying to hone a certain approach that feels consistent enough? Or is it? Or is yeah, it really I think, different. No, it is. It is, but not in the same way. I mean, my directing approach doesn't come from a way of sort of a, a a lens of how I like to put a show together, but more the way I work with the actors and the text. 
And this goes all the way back to that first question about the theatre tradition in Bolton and then my ideologies about theatre. Um, I'm very interested in the voice and how we use the voice. And that's my only sort of technical thing that I really like to get into, the voice and the body. But mainly it's that rehearsal room process. I always say that I don't like actors who turn up and they've got their version of the script already and they know how yeah. they want to play the character because it just doesn't work. And and the gag that people um, always have with me is I like actors that are moldable. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a way that they come in and, you know, whether you've got somebody who's got a way of doing it already or, or an amateur actor who has no experience, you're an amateur actor with little experience. You can sort of teach them to do it the way you want which works for me. If you've got an actor who comes in and they're, they're a bit more established and they've got ways of working, I find myself as a director spending time getting them to strip all that back so that all they're doing is reading words on a page, not acting, not performing, not, not putting anything of their own on it. Mm. And then working together with them yeah. to really build up a really tight version of, of the character together. So it's not micromanaging. But I like to start with nothing. So I think when I bring actors on, I have to take them back down to the basics. Yeah. Start from just read the text and then what do we get from the text? And I think there's there's a lot of situations in which the text speaks for itself. There's very little that you need to do with a text. Invent. There's very little you need to invent. I'm not... I'm not against Stanislavski, but I'm not I'm not a Stanislavski, Stella Adler, film yeah, star kind of right. actor. Let's come up with a backstory. I don't need an actor to have a backstory because what's in the text is what we're going to be playing. And if we need to invent things here and there to make it make sense, I will. Yeah. So that's how I sort of set up the rehearsal room. Yeah. Um, and I then when we're I'm actually gone. No, yeah. So I, I was just gonna say that like as a as a playwright, um, and as someone that does that exact thing of what is on the page is is the information that you are willing to give about these characters because obviously you have everything set up of this character is kind of this or that or if you have a backstory you probably don't even have backstories from them you are just drip feeding the audience to give them the information that you want to give and mm -hmm. what you are eventually also doing with actors is that and then directors that you are giving them this information and you're saying here you go you can portray this the way that you want um and see what you see through it i can't necessarily blame you for interpreting mm. it in a different way because i gave you this information and if <laughs> i didn't specify that it wasn't like this then you know that's that i may have my opinions on said thing however i think at the end of the day uh it's exactly that and sometimes and I've been in this experience before, not just directing, but going over my work as non-director actor, how uh, people get get what you're writing, but also find unique things mm. within it that you didn't see. And oh, that's absolutely. exactly what you're talking about. And I do think that, yeah, getting down to the basic is is something that helps it because you are understanding what you're saying and why you're saying mm. it to then get the fun. Yeah, I mean, I just think in a play text, in a text that you've got, Start with that and only that and then figure out the right way that you want to say that line. And this comes back to my voice thing. I like working with the voice and, and realism in the voice in terms of how do you say that line? Because a writer provides you with a line or a series of lines and depending on the way you say them, 
it carries totally different meanings. And we know this depending on the emphasis, the stress, the way you say it. So a, an actor doesn't need to have a backstory or a, um, a way of doing it. They can just read it in context and try and figure out, okay, how are the different ways I could play this, this scene and which one fits in with the text? I think it makes it just so simple and so it's, it's for want of a better word, choreography. Yeah. I don't like the idea that it's all, I think you do need to in inhabit a character a little bit. But yeah, yeah. in the same way that you choreograph a dance and feel it at the same time, the way I direct is it's choreographed. It's every everything I'm doing on the stage has been chosen and deliberate and some things are really fine-tuned. And I really like that because you're working really tightly within the boundary of what's been written. Yeah, yeah. And and, and that may be... That yeah. that may that lead into um my my next question because obviously that now, you currently have the job of a teacher who teaches theater, um, and how has that been? And it's, it's like and it's specifically, you're not teaching you know drama students who are there you know trying to learn everything that they can. You're teaching um kids on a bit of a on a bit of a level where it needs to be, um, understandable. But it needs to also be fun, yeah, yeah. and the, but they also need to kind of be that sponge to kind of embrace everything that's being said and yeah. embrace everything they can do with it. What has that been like? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So I'm teaching in a school, in a secondary school, as an English teacher, but so much of that is about play text, and I think I couldn't do that effectively without the theatre background. It's it's so such a similar thing. To be in a director, the sorts of conversations you have within a rehearsal room map almost exactly into the sorts of conversations in a classroom, because ultimately the product is going to be different. One of those groups has to act it, perform it, and the other one has to write about it in an exam. But getting to grips with what's going on here, why is this this been you know why is the writer chosen to do this? how does this manifest itself and how does it link with the rest of the play? Um, I think it's a massive help for understanding a text on, on the whole. And I don't think you can understand a play text by reading it and yeah. just reading what's on the page. I think so much of my teaching now is, what does that sound like? And this goes back exactly to what I was saying about the voice. It's like, yeah. hang on, what does that actually sound like? What does, effect does that have? I was uh, doing Macbeth recently, and I love Macbeth. It's my yeah, favorite yeah. Shakespeare's plays. And I went and saw it at the Globe, and I had and I taught it last year, and I had all this information ready. And I was trying to get across to my students, you know, this is strange. The three witches, this is weird. So why don't all three of you who have just volunteered to read it, why don't you read it at the same time? Stand up, so you're above everybody. That's your levels. That's your body. And in the rhythm, in the pentameter, read it. And they read, just these three students, they read um, All Hail Macbeth, That Shall Be King Hereafter. And just that little change of from being stood up out of their seats and saying it together with a really clear rhythm had such an effect on the room, just like it would on stage. And that's the key for me. Yeah, You cannot, you cannot work with play, you cannot work with text like that without engaging with it in the way that you do in the rehearsal room. Exactly. And I think then, because 
And this ties, I'm going to tie this into another question that I have. So mm. as, as someone, because I feel obviously we have worked uh, very closely together as being a sort of writer and director team. And so we understand what this kind of relationship is. But, but again, as you're saying, is that it doesn't matter what type of background you've had. Reading mm-hmm. a play is definitely, and, and, and especially if you read Shakespeare. Because if you can, if you just sit down and read Shakespeare, that's going to be a tough read for a lot of people, and it's not exactly the fact that oh, this is an old timey language that I don't necessarily mm-hmm. understand. It is because of the 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 numerous ideas that are in one sentence, and the feelings oh, and, yeah. and 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 the context of what's being said. That once you break that down with someone, you understand exactly what's going on, but you also have an opinion on said thing, and so. Yeah. With theater being a live performance, as something that's live in front of you, and how it has been used in Shakespeare time, or you know, twenty years ago, even today, it has been used as a tool, as a sort of a social uh, commentary in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just in today's society, I mean, we obviously have loads of other ways to express ourselves, but what do you think of it as um, in 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 the UK specifically, just to kind of keep it a bit more grounded? Mm-hmm. And you coming from the background that you have, what do you think of it as that tool in today's world? Yeah, I think I'm going to start off strong. I'm going to say mm. I think there's a real problem in this country at the minute with a, a a sort of not even a government, but the upper classes being philistines. Okay, yeah, and this feeds right the way through. We now have a a, a country and a a tradition where the rich, the powerful, where a hundred years ago they would use that money to go to the theatre, to go to invest in art, to, to invest in the arts in general, that's just not there anymore. I think we've seen a massive shift in um, the importance of theatre because it used to be a bit of a symbol of, oh, I'm going to the theatre. And now it's not. We have this sort of, yeah, we have a Philistine upper class where it, it's almost like don't see the value in art and, and certainly don't see the value in theatre. And that just makes it all more important because the history of performance in particularly where I'm from in the north is your your local pub circuit, your variety circuit, where people are coming together to put on acts for the local community. That's not gone away. And that's where it lies for me. That's why I, you know, I think I have issues sometimes when I, if I have been able to go and watch a big touring production or a big play, and it just seems a little bit too big or a little bit um, false sometimes, right. I think. Whereas you go and watch the same play with amateurs who are just doing it for their local community's entertainment or to make a comment about what's going on in their lives. I I always find those are much richer. And I always say I do like amateur actors, even on Shakespeare, because they bring, I think we bring something a little bit richer to it. Because it's what you're commenting on, you know, a, a large scale producing house could take a play, could take a Shakespeare, turn it into something where they're trying to make a commentary on a certain issue and it falls flat. It falls flat because it's it's on too big of a stage, um, right. for want of a better term. Yeah. That, and that local and amateur performance is where these things are created. I mean, look at the Edinburgh Fringe. Yes, it's a social yeah. tool, not just to entertain, but to make comments. Is because the Fringe is not about huge theatre companies. It's about 
people. It's about ordinary people taking their word. Yeah, um, I also I, I I have to agree with the falseness of. I mean, you see in the National Theatre, for example, and I'm coming off this as a as a foreigner, really, uh, <sighs> in in terms of in terms of seeing the National, which I've never been to in in the UK. Um, because even having to go there, you have to go to London, you have to stay the night, you have to then pay the ticket to go see it, and then you have to make your way back. That doesn't, where I come from, obviously, is a very, very small place, the idea of national theatre. It's a very, very, very small place. Um, but it's because of that that I've always felt that the national theatre is there for a symbol of something. Now, um, I know yeah. that... Uh, it has become a sort of a commercialized stage because of the thing that I spoke about before and that there are in a lot of ways with Shakespeare, as we've mentioned, and just other plays in general that I've seen there, the genuine commentaries and stories being brought to the light, which, you know, you can't do anything but applaud for in terms of like, right, let's see it through this lens and let's see it through that. Um, I think, though, mm -hmm. with with, for example, that kind of broadcasting it to the world through, you know, this cinema angle and whatnot, and, and, and also them getting in kind of every single decision is such a political decision which is like in a good way but it ends up becoming i don't know it it, it doesn't even like it's about the commentary it's but... because it's not ordinary people yeah that's the I thing so. that i'm getting at and i know you are as well you every decision that the national theater for example makes is a political decision and then they put a work on and if you've got a big theater like that putting on work that's trying to to comment on something. It's very hard for them to comment on it mm -hmm. because of the position it's in. That's what I'm in, saying. In, yeah. in every sense of that word, financial yeah. position, social position, geographical position. Whereas the same comment, same social commentary being made by someone who has lived that life, and we're being very vague in general here, but, yeah. but you know, someone who's within, who's situated within what they're trying to talk about yeah. and he's not interested in making it a commercial success no. on a big stage but he's just interested in getting making that work i mean yeah. a lot of my research has been into that in terms of local performers working class performers just going yeah the reason i chose to perform it in this space is because that's all i can afford or because it was free and i've got a show that's talking about an issue that i have lived mm. nobody's portraying anything they shouldn't be nobody's writing about anything they don't have experience with because it's grassroots and it comes just yeah. from you. And I think that's the beauty of it for me. Theatre as a social tradition cannot exist for all of us on a national level. Or a, it's, it's got to be in the back room of the pub yeah. from, you know, the person who lives that life exactly and i think i think in today's world especially where people can pick up a phone and 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 broadcast and present and perform their own opinions of what they think regardless of whether that is a good opinion or a bad opinion i think that you know it is a kind of soapbox type mentality which uh you know is there's a kind of a theater to it at the, at the very end of it mm. um but I still think that, you know, like the 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 reason why I love theater so much is because it's it is there up in your face and then at the after the show, you will start talking to people and what you think, what yeah, did you yeah. you know, and, and those sorts of conversations where you will agree with people, you will disagree with people, people like it, people hate it, but that at least it's out there and 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 you kind of volunteered to go into that to have that discussion and to have that yeah. thing. And it's but, people in a room. Yeah. Isn't it? You know, it's very hard to 
keep a distance when you're from things and not engage in things when there's a person 10 feet in front of you mm. shouting it at you, for example. It, it's very hard to step back from that. Yeah. Well, um, we are kind of coming to the end of this, um, but I want to end with uh, something similar, which uh, as I asked Sophie, she had a, a very, very hard time to answer this question. I think she gave a decent <laughs> answer. She gave a decent answer for something different. But because I asked her, I asked, um, what is your most what do you think is the most underrated opera ever? And I'm going to ask you, what do you think is the most underrated play ever, oh, in your opinion, goodness. or that you personally feel? Because again, you haven't read every play or everything, but yeah. you must have a opinion. No, that's true. I, uh... Um, good question. So that I am actually starting to talk and not just thinking for ten minutes, let me say yeah. this: I think one of the most, one of my favorite poems ever is Tissue which is the poem that everybody seems to hate because they don't they don't get what it's about. I don't, I don't get it. And we have to right. teach it at schools. Right, and okay. It's a beautiful poem, but people just cannot, cannot get what it's about. And the writer's not necessarily saying this is what it's about. And, and it has many different interpretations. Um, so whatever play I think is underrated will behave in the same way. Right. And can you explain that? Because I don't know the poem. So, but I, I I understand because and that may be a better question. I have to say that may be a better question of what aspect of performance or bringing something life on stage do you feel is underrated and in what way you know you can comment it's, ahead for the next section. It's the elements. It's the elements that come together to make it. And if those elements, if you've got a load of for you know to be using academics of disparate elements, things that are coming together, right? If they're done willy nilly for the for the shop of it it doesn't work um my most underrated play ever i think is a play called the last supper um and who's it by i saw it in bolton school right in the dining hall of bolton school and what they had done is it was it wasn't just sitting watching a play and this answers both of your questions i think we were sat around a, a dining table and they welcomed you in and they said, hi, I'm an actor. I'm one of the actors. Come and sit down on this long table. And they'd pour you a glass of wine, real wine, and said, relax, drink this wine. You know, oh, you're, you can't drink wine? I've apple juice. So already they've broken that sense of, broken those two elements of spectator and performer. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, bold. And not a lot of places do that. Certainly not a lot of uh, commercial theatres are going to go, hi, everybody. I'm one of the actors. You've got to yeah. this idea that you've got to keep that uh, that wall up, and then it, the course of it was fantastic. They were they were at, talking about people in history and their last words of people mm. who were executed or died, and the last meals of people on death row. Anytime they mentioned the last meal, they would bring it out, cooked, bring it out to the audience, and a member of the audience. They'd be sat in front of them, and they got to eat it. Burger and chips. <laughs> Somebody okay. asked for a McDonald's burger. That's really cool. And they would tell the story, tell the history of, you know, this serial killer was on death row and his last meal was uh, avocado on toast and a chocolate milkshake. There it is right in front of you. It's live. It's breaking that idea. And then every time they spoke somebody's last word, or last, last word, it was on edible paper as though they were reading it out, and they would eat it. They would put this edible paper in their mouth. 
And it was just so profound because you tell, I tell you that, and it sounds almost a bit silly. Mm. But really, it was bringing all these these different elements together and breaking the idea that you are just sitting and paying a ticket and sitting and watching. Um, it was by Reckless Sleepers. Reckless Sleepers. Right. Reckless Sleepers. The Last Supper. And I think, I don't know why that's not more widely talked about. It's no. 100% the most underrated thing because it's exactly what I like, which was, yeah. <laughs> which is, which, even just when the audience comes in, it was, hi, this isn't part of the show. This isn't a trick. This isn't pre-show. I'm just one of the actors. I'm welcome. You know, come and sit down and chill out. And right. that's exactly how we run our Scouts productions. Mm. And yeah. There is the sort of connection go, on, on, on a sort of a community. No, I do like that because um, it has a lot of aspects to it that I really, really enjoy. And I think that when a lot of people think about theater, they think about that national theater type of experience or just, you know, that sort of, you know, uh, out for the theater, curtains down, mm. uh, curtains open, lights on, then end with curtains down and uh, you, yeah. know, you go home. And and that in itself is a fantastic experience. And um Many things have been tried and tested through that uh, on multiple levels. But I think that the most sort of profound things that I have found in theater is exactly not just breaking a fourth wall, just breaking the uh, or drawing closer the connection between performer vision of director and the audience. I think it was I completely forgot the name of the guy who did it or kind of talked about this. But there is a literal like diagram that can be drawn it's not Stanislavski it's the other guy I think his name is M something uh but you know it's it's that line that is always there and and as a playwright specifically you always kind of think of as well and then when Meyerhold. you are Meyerhold exactly Meyerhold he, he has some sort of triangle thing and not that I was like oh this is like fantastic but it's like it's the type of thing that oh, you... Maslow. Sorry, Maslow's hierarchy. No, Maslow. well, maybe Meyerhold or Maslow. Okay. It's either one of those. It was, it was like M something. However, it was that particular thing of just showing me that that it's like yeah, right, yeah. not just as some a theater maker, but also as an audience member. That is exactly oh, I what yeah. I am agreeing to be a part of. And yeah. once when you kind of screw around with that, that's really fun. That's really fun. Yeah. And it makes it unique. But it... It goes right back to what I was saying about local theatre and how it's a completely different tradition because you're oftentimes, and for, throughout history, for hundreds of years, you're sat in a small space. Usually, yeah. you know, you might be sat in a variety hall, in a bar, or in, you know, a really tiny space where the actors are on top of you and there is that break between things because you don't have enough people. You can't hire yeah. people. So everybody that's working on the show has to also be an usher and has to. Mm. And it is, it's, I think that is the thread that connect. And it's a nice way to end this, but yeah. it's the thread that connects everything I do. Yeah. Absolutely everything. And then it's going. Ex- and it's exactly the same for me. And I think that's why we have connected so well. I think thank, so. Thank you very much for this discussion, Sam. I feel like, as always, we could just go on and on, and uh, we you could know, talk for yeah. And England. I do hope that this is uh, this is yes, we could talk for England. Uh, but uh, th- I think that anybody who is listening to this um, and is enjoying it, thank you. If you're not, I don't blame you. But other than that, um, thank you for for showing up and thank you for being part of the show. And uh, yeah, cheers. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Lovely.